Hello, John Schuler. Hello, Brandon. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing really awesome. Yeah. Good the to hear. Pineapple Express coming through, my friend. Pineapple Express. Oh, yeah? Smoking a lot of weed. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys you guys want some drugs? Yeah. I love that movie. You seen Pineapple Express? No. Uh, well, that's I what I'm talking there was about. something related to it. That's why I, always, I laugh about it. But no. Oh, man. Danny McBride and... Um, oh, oh God, I can't even think the two main guys in it. Seth, Seth, uh, what's his name? Ha 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 ha. He laughs like that. Um, uh, I gotta look it up. God. No idea. It's such a good movie, but I always think of Danny McBride. He's so good in that movie. But let's not, let's not get started on the weather. Although today it's going to be 70 degrees here. It was two weeks ago. It was like negative 30 and I don't know, six to 12 inches of snow and ice. And today's wow. going to be 70 and sunny. It's crazy beautiful and here i am sitting in my office doing a podcast i should be outside in a speedo sunbathing get my vitamin d but instead i'm in here <laughs> yeah, right. you might want to leave the speedo buddy uh-uh. <laughs> no <laughs> got to get as much skin exposure as possible yeah right legally exactly yes <clears throat> yes Funny. yeah so i cast we talked uh, kind of talked about a little bit i have these crazy projects been hanging over my head for months now it feels like and um, finally cast him. I had my old employee, Aiden, in Arkansas drive up and help me out. So we cast all the pieces. We, he helped me finish forming and um, cast and stripped and flipped everything in like a five-day period. Hydraulic pressure, man. Never underestimate hydraulic pressure. Hmm. And I always underestimate hydraulic pressure. For some reason, this is the lesson. I don't know what I did in a previous life. I did something. You know, who knows? But uh, I just keep, keep, uh, you know, keep learning it. So anyways, I thought I had way overbuilt the forms, which is always kind of my, my go-to. It's like, I'd rather overbuild and underbuild. I'd rather put an extra hour into building this and put five hours into remedying, you know, a mess up. So anyways, I felt like I overbuilt everything. But there was a couple things I was a little iffy on. The problem was I had to put the forms on the floor and normally I tie in what would be considered strong backs into the table. And then I have cross ties going across that actually, you know, help hold down the rest of the forming. But this time I moved them to the floor and I can't, unless I want to drill in the concrete, which apparently I should have done, I couldn't do. So I didn't have hmm. the strong backs and the additional supports I normally have, but I just did whalers like crazy. Thought I was, thought I was pretty good. Poured. So it was five pieces total poured the first piece, which is the 750 pound little pedestal sink, but it's, it's, you know, uh, uh, it's thick as the, as the kids like to say today, it's a thick little sink. So, uh, so I poured that guy and that was the one I was most nervous about. So I've just poured it and I walked away. I didn't tap it. I didn't shake it. I didn't do anything. So I poured SEC, which by the way, we also mixed this in the, uh, the drum mixer. Did we, we haven't done a podcast. We talked about it last time. No. I think we talked a little bit about loading procedures, but yeah, I don't think we went over them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I used the drum mixer, the barrel mixer, drum mixer, whatever you want to call it, to cast this stuff. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But this, the first thing I poured, I just, we did SEC, GFRC using Maker Mix. I poured it and I was a little iffy on this one. So I didn't tap it. I didn't shake it. Normally I take a little rubber mallet, tap, 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 yeah. get any air pockets that are on the surface because that's to work up, you know, 24 inches up a vertical wall. Uh, getting a little air pockets release or on the underside of a sink bowl, you know, air comes up and it'll hit that. You want to slosh the form a little bit just to create a little agitation to get that air to work around and come up. I didn't do any of that. And I knew by not doing that, I ended up with a few air pockets, not pinners because we don't have, we don't have pinholes with maker mix, but some air pockets that just because I didn't tap it or slosh it, I'm going to end up with that. Yeah, some locks. Yeah, it just is what it is. You know, you you, you pick your uh, pick your poison. So either you shake and, and tap or you just say, I'm going to live with it and I'll slurry those few air pockets when I demold. So anyways, that was piece number one. Piece number two was a, what, what was piece number two? Piece number two was this big, I'm doing this giant fireplace, but it's the upper part of the fireplace. It goes around the actual firebox insert, which they sent to me to take measurements of because the company that manufactured it and 
wherever, I don't know where it came from, Germany, Switzerland, or whatever, the measurements were all wrong. Like their shop drawings were all different. Every shop drawing they had was different. So they just said, hey, we're going to send it to you and you measure it. Okay, fine. So they sent it to me, I measure it. Anyways, it's this round, it goes around that. And, uh, but it's, it's really big, but it's one inch thick, but it's three dimensional. And it's like another, I don't know, 700 pounds of concrete. Anyways, same thing. It's like 24 inches tall, but it's got this inner form. Think of like a boat. Think of like, there's a boat in the middle, right? I'm going to pour concrete in and that boat wants to lift up. It wants to float because concrete's coming underneath it for part of it because there's this opening, but concrete's going to come underneath and it's going to try to lift it, right? Tons of whalers, tons of cross ties going over the top. I have like three two by sixes going over the top. I have clamps. I screw down that inner form with like three inch screws. Probably, I don't know how many screws I put in there. 20, 30. I screwed to the bottom. What, it still popped? Dude. So we start filling it up. You know, and it's always like the last couple inches that you see the problem, right? So we get, I'm like, okay, okay. Again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tap this thing. Like, I'm just going to let it be. So I fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it. And we're getting close to the top. And all of a sudden I see like the inner form is now coming up higher than the outer form. I'm like, ah, you know. So it's like battle royale. We go into like, you know, crisis mode. So we're like looking for more lumber, more clamps, straps, and we're fighting this thing. We get it back, actually. We get it down. I put more cross ties, more clamps. I actually have to stack like seven or 800 pounds of maker mix bags on the center of it just to help give it a little bit more downward pressure. But we get it down. It actually turned out, turned out great. So I'm like, okay, okay. Well, the next, the next three pieces are actually pretty easy. It's actually four pieces. There's a small piece. I'm not counting, but and they're only like six inches tall, six and a half inches tall. But same thing, backer form. These backer forms are made of foam. <sighs> I wish I could say like it all went flawlessly because I thought it was going to go flawlessly. Every one of them, that backer form gave me hell, right? So, you know, one of them, we got it. It was an erosion sink, a double erosion sink. We got it done. Who's calling me? Scott Telford is calling me. I haven't talked to him in a while. I'll call him later. Yeah. So this double erosion sink has a backer form made of foam and I have, you know, two, two by sixes going across like a bridge holding it down. And, um, those are tied down to the table with uh, vertical plywood pieces that are screwed down. And anyways, fill it up, done, beautiful, great. And this black concrete done. Great. Literally we're getting ready to turn around, go clean the mixer, go clean buckets. And just as I'm turning, I just looked for whatever reason. I looked back at it and I see all the concrete along the edge just go down. It just drops like somebody pulled a plug, like the bathtub plug. You just see the con- the edge, you know, because it's filled up to the top. Just goes, and I'm like, ah, oh, where'd the concrete go? It came out the back, right? So that, that foam popped up. It like had so much upward force. It pulled the, the screws out of the table, popped Dang. them, and uh, it floated. And, um, concrete came out the back because of the way I built it. Anyways, uh, same thing, went to war, got it down, got it flat, got it, you know, reinforced. And then luckily we had enough, uh, leftover that I just poured it again and it was totally fine. But anyways, John, all this to say, it was quite the day. You know, the Benny Hill theme song, (laughs) I I told Aiden because Aiden's too young to know the Benny Hill theme song, but I'm like, we should have just had that playing the whole day. It would have been the perfect theme music for this day because it was like 12 <laughs> hours of hell 12 hours of hell and it was it was self-induced hell like it shouldn't be like that it should have just you know i literally we finished the forms on like a tuesday i think tuesday or wednesday we finished the forms at like three in the afternoon three thirty. i'm like man maybe we'll just pour these it's only gonna take like you know to pour these pieces a couple hours because we're pouring sec that's fast it's really fast but I had like a migraine building, right? Wah, wah, wah. And I'm just like, ah, dude, I just, I can't concentrate enough to do this. We'll do it in the morning, right? Thank God I pushed pause because I can't imagine trying to like deal with all the hijinks that happened with a migraine. But ended up, instead of taking three hours, ended up taking 12 hours. Again, not because it was difficult with the concrete. I made it difficult on myself by not taking enough time to reinforce for hydraulic pressure. Sure. Um, it was just self-induced, self-induced pain. And that's usually what it is. It's, it's almost always self-induced pain. But, you know, I say I learned my lesson. 
I haven't learned my lesson. It's going to happen again. I can guarantee no, it'll it. happen again. Just like, yep. you know, the sun comes up each morning. I'm going to underestimate hydraulic pressure again. I can guarantee it. But everything turned out. Uh, but anyways, the point I'm telling you all this, John, is, is kind of the yeah. point of the, the podcast today is because I did not do any of the wiggle, wiggle, the shake, shake, the tappy, tappy, like I always do with SEC to get any air pockets that might have been stuck on the surface to come up. I knew I was going to have to deal with slurry, right? Not a lot, but there's like little spots, little spots where there's an air pocket that I have to deal with now. And I have not slurried in forever. I think it's been, honestly, five, six years since I've slurred anything. Like, I have not slurred anything. Same. Nothing. Yeah. But it's not a difficult process to do. And so I think it's something we should talk about because even though you don't need to do it that often with these materials, you have to do it all the time with a polymer-based material. I mean, that's... When I say I haven't done it in like five years, we started moving towards Kodiak Pro probably about four or five years ago. And I moved away from using polymer-based materials. And that's when the slurry stopped for me. That's when I stopped having to slurry pieces. But that being said, a lot of people still use those older generation products and slurrying is something they have to do. So I think it's a good thing to discuss and you know some tips and tricks that might make their life a little easier. So is that something you want to talk about today? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Well, let me tell you what I did and then you can tell me the right way to do it. Okay. Because I'm sure I didn't do it the right way, but what makes you think I know the right way? Well, but anyway, yeah, know. go ahead. I don't know. I mean, we should really actually talk to somebody like Dusty because Dusty, he doesn't slurry because he needs to. He does it because of his looks. He adds all that looks, texture yeah. intentionally and then he has to fill it back in. So right. Dusty's like, He's a pro at slurring. That's that's his jam. I'm not. I'm like a newborn baby fawn learning to walk for the first time. You know, it's been five years since I've had to do it. So anyways, here's what I did. Um, I sifted Maker Mix through two different sieves, which I've had forever. Essentially, they go in a five-gallon bucket. You get them on Amazon. They're used for, like, mining for guys that are gold panning. It fits right into a five-gallon bucket, and you can stack them. So the one takes out, like, the you know, 30 mesh sands. The next one takes out like 80 mesh sands. So you're really only left with the fines and uh, with the poslins and the cement. And so it's, it's good for that. So you load in there, you shake the bucket, everything sieves out, all the sand sieve out, and you, you end up with uh, just all the fines. So the first thing you want to do is you want to, you know, hopefully have rad mix. And you can talk about using rad mix for slurry because that's what you told me to do, but I didn't have any. Yeah. Um, if you don't, then yeah. you can go the route that I went and that's sieving maker mix. Something that is very helpful is to not completely seal the pieces, but to do a couple sealing steps before you start to slurry to minimize or completely eliminate any potential staining yeah. of spot slurry. Because the issue, yeah. the issue when you spot slurry, if you're if you're using a polymer-based product, you're gonna end up with millions of air holes. So you end up slurrying the whole piece. Okay. But if you're using something like this and you only have an air pocket here, an air pocket four feet away, an air pocket way down there, you're not going to slurry the whole piece. You're just going to spot slurry those little, those little spots. And the problem with spot slurrying raw concrete is when you remove the slurry, it can leave a stain where the slurry was. And um, so the way you mitigate that is you apply a couple coats of sealer before you slurry, and that's just going to protect the concrete from absorb any of that uh, staining from yeah. the, the slurry. Yep. So what I did was I did the uh, three, well, two parts, actually. Two parts water, one part um, prime. It's the new the new generation, see, the prime's in it. What are, you, what are you calling it, by the way, the new generation? I'm just leaving it protect. Yeah, it's okay. just protect. But the prime is built in now. So the... the Correct. Yeah. So anyways, um, but I did two parts water, one part protect, and uh, went through the whole process like normal. So I torched the surface. I rolled it on. Rolled, 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 let it dry, torched it again, and then did a vinegar wipe and let that dry. And then I did one-to-one, one part water, one part protect, exact same thing again. Once that was done, then I took my slurry that I have sitting over here and uh, I had a little bit of water to it, mixed it up to like a, a peanut butter consistency and then just spot slurried everything, overfilled it slightly. Um, next day, come back with a sanding block with some 320 sandpaper. Yeah, take light. it down. Yep, mm -hmm. take it down. Wipe the surface down. Blow it off of there, and then just start sealing. And I—that's where I'm at today because I slurred yesterday. So today, I'm going to start back. I already sanded the slurry this morning. 
um, I'm going to start back with, uh, with doing a, another one-to-one and, uh, and then continue through the ceiling steps. But that's what I'm going to do. What, what is the right way to do it, Sean? What would you recommend? Well, I don't, re- I mean, as you very well know, cause you hit me on it. I don't recommend sieving the mix. Not that it can't be done. The downside is there's, there's no, there's no way to avoid pulling out some of the dust, meaning the cement and the fine particles and et cetera, through the sieving process. And clearly there's no way to do it wet, meaning just to, just to pull the sands out alone. So what you're ended up with as a powder, you know, may or may not be strong enough to pull off what you want. So in my opinion, the best thing to do, even for people doing SECs, either a, when you order some materials, just get one bag of rad mix I mean, that's going to last who knows how long or, you know, get a hold of Joe and just, you know, keep five or 10 pounds on hand to make some slurry out of. Basically, that's what I do. And that's what I recommend. One part rad mix, one part cement. I mix in, you know, 0.03% plasticizer into that. And then I keep a, it's basically a 10 pound, 10 pound batch of that in a bucket for whenever I need it. Now, how often I need it anymore is not very often, but still, you know what I mean? It's there, it's ready to go, and uh, it doesn't go bad. Yeah. You I put, guess unless you... You put plasticizer yeah. in your slurry? Just a touch, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Just helps it wet out a little quicker. Otherwise, I mean, with any slurries, I mean, they will wet out, but I, I don't use very much water. If I remember right, it's been so long, probably 25% of the total. So if I was weighing up, say a hundred grams of slurry, I put in 25 grams of water. And and when you do that, mixing it with a little, you know, a little drill mixer, hand drill mixer, it just takes a lot to wet it out. You know what I mean? But if you've just put a touch of TBP in there, it wets out very quickly, very easy. And I'm one of those that I would kind of like slaking. I would rather mix it so it's wet out, set it aside, let then the plasticizer die off, you know what I mean, still, you know, five, 10 minutes, and then the same, get it into that kind of paste-like consistency. That's what I prefer. Mm. But, I mean, you tell me otherwise, but for me, mixing it with a hand mixer, or, you know, excuse me, the little drill mixer and just water, man, it just, it just, it's harder. How about that? It's just more difficult. Just a, a touch of plasticizer in there instead wets out very quickly. You set it aside and it's ready to rock and roll. I just so. use, honestly, I just use a tongue depressor and a plastic cup. And I just, you know, a couple drops of water, stir a couple drops of water, stir until I get it to the right consistency. That, that's just how yeah, I do it. Go. But again, I, this isn't my thing. This isn't what I, I typically do. It's been a long time. But even way back in the day when I did a lot of slurry, I found that the drill mixer, I just couldn't, there's always like clumps that didn't mix like in the corners. Oh, really? Yeah. For me, it was just quicker just to do it by hand. Uh, yeah. The only the only time I'd ever use a drill mixer is if I had pigments to just get it a lot more even. So I didn't end up with like streaks or like a little ball of pigment that didn't mix. But otherwise, if I'm just doing straight white or back then, I, I made mine with white Portland or gray Portland, straight gray, I would just do it with a a little tongue depressor and, you know, that's just how I did it. Uh, let's see if I was to add a tip and I think I told you the same thing. I'm just going to use the tip was add a little sealer to your water. Yeah. Three parts water, you know, three or four parts water, one part protect. And that way you're going to utilize mostly all the combination colloidal technologies, which just helps your sealer, be a little more robust. It'll open up its working time a little bit, but more importantly, it actually hardens it a little quicker. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's what I asked you was, what can I do to speed it up? Because I'm not using polymer. Back in the day, I used polymer, which is a glue. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're not using polymer, what can I do to help kick this and move along? You're like, dude, just put 25% of your water protect. Right. And you you were right. I did that. Boom. It was dramatically different. I don't understand why. I don't care why. I just do. <laughs> I just do what John tells me, and you know, as John said. But no, that that would be the tip. Yeah, keep a keep a little bit of your protect mixed in with the water, and mix that in entirely, and it'll be a very different animal. Yeah. 
Yep, 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 yep. But the same. I mean, you know, over all these years with the upright cast and the and the kind of looks that I do, the same. I don't I don't do slurry. Yeah. I just don't do it. Yeah, it's it's not necessary. So but um yeah, the best Maybe we got to look into that. Maybe we just need to have like a small package for people to have on hand rather than a 30 pound bag. I don't know. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I don't, I don't keep rad mix because I use maker mix, but it would have been nice to have just a little bit of that product to make slurry. And so maybe it's something we talked to Joe about. We actually might have an East coast distributor coming online here soon too. And, um, maybe talk to them about stocking, you know, down packing, stocking a slurry pack that people can buy. What else, John? What else concrete do you want to talk about? Anything come to mind? Well, I mean, we could talk about some of the current things going on. It seems like it's, I hate to say recycles or goes in cycles, but I will say, maybe it's coincidental. The last couple of weeks, I've, again, I've gotten a lot of messages and phone calls and tech support. What usually starts, you know, I do this, right? It's always a story. Remember when we did Heroes Quest not that long ago and videos of people who were at the Hero Quest posted videos of the flow? Yeah. And if anybody doesn't remember that particular time frame or, you know, um, there was a lot of, I don't even know how to describe it. How about tension? around information and loading procedures and fiber loading and et cetera, et cetera, which I think we moved past, but, and that's a whole nother story in its own. But so it happened again, Martin posted a video a minute ago on a, on his forum page, artwork, concrete and artwork forum. And I started getting some calls from people like, Hey, I'm not getting that flow. You know, what is, what is Martin maybe doing different than what I'm doing? My, you know, my typical of me, I don't know, you know, Hit me with what you're doing. So they send me the recipe or the formula that they're using. I'm like, no, that's, that looks good to me. What? And okay, let's keep going, keep going, keep going. Then when I found out with most of these guys were following a procedure in which I'm going to say, you know, the, the sands first and follow that with some liquid and then, you know, follow that, so forth and so forth. Now, these are guys using rad mix too, by the way. And, um, I was like, Oh no, yeah, no, that's, that's from a chemistry point of it. That's very backwards. I mean, that's not the way plasticizers work. You know, plasticizers were not made, uh, to put, you know, steric, steric repulsion on sand particles. You know, they're made for cement and fine particles and pozzolans and et cetera, et cetera. So I had them change the loading procedure and each one of them called me back like, aha, holy moly. But where am I going with this? You know, I, again, it just, recently, yeah, some, now I saw where the information was coming. There's some individuals uh, putting that information out as proper procedure based on their years of, you know, diehard experience and et cetera, et cetera. And where am I going with this? Where are you it's, going with this, John? I've, I've been sitting here racking my brain. Where am I going? Where are so, you going? I guess what I'm saying is again, once again, how to load mix and your liquid and your plasticizers. So I just very quickly, you guys, anybody listening, plasticizers, I'm going to take it from a liquid plasticizer point of view. The best way to get any plasticizer the most efficient is to, or would be to disperse it into the water first. That's number one. So the more dispersed your plasticizer can be in your liquid state is by far you know, the best way to get your plasticizer efficient. And then number two is to get that dispersed plasticizer in direct action with the cement particles, pozzolanic particles, and so forth. And so again, first, not sands, not if you're using a polymer, it happened to be these particular people were using polymers. It's none of that kind of stuff. And so that's going to be completely inefficient. And it's not just going to be inefficient in a mix procedure. It's going to cause problems. Like you're going to be over mixing your mix. You know, it's going to be difficult to mix. So you're probably going to mix it too much. You may end up whipping air into it and all these kind of things that can be avoided, which is, as we talked about, I mean, loaded per in a barrel mixer, 
like yourself, right? You put the liquids in first and then the plasticizer. And now in your case, you're using maker mix, but your dry material then went in and lifts. But still the general principle, you were trying to get your liquids in and then your plasticizer, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh, before I say right and have you come back like, no, John, that's not what no, I did. No, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and that's the proper way um, <clears throat> so that you, you know, so I'm going to take it a next, a next step. We've talked about uh, the fundamentals class, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm a big believer in fundamentals. So when one of the guys called me, who's in Mexico, by the way, and did the same thing, I, it's just the nature of me. I'm like, you know what? Give me a minute, man. Let me just give me a minute because I'm also a believer when, when all of us and some people pretend to be professionals for a period of time, I think a lot of us can lose sight. You kind of put up your blinders, you get stuck in your way of doing things. And, you know, maybe you even made up your own way of doing things. So I went down to the shop and I mixed up two batches. I mixed up one batch let's say per other information and one batch per the way chemistry wise, I know how to do it or, and, and then I took each of those mixes and did a spread test. So number one, mix blended the way we described had, you know, just over a 15% higher flow or a higher spread based on flow with the same amount of water, same amount of plasticizer, fiber, mix, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that was number one. And that was an obvious one. <clears throat> but number two, which wouldn't be so obvious except to a person who does it is, oh my goodness, mixing the one with the, I'm going to call it the secondary procedures. It was so difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, like literally, man, I was like wrestling a gorilla <laughs> yeah. know, trying to mix up 50 pounds and that's all it was. It was 50 pounds. Go crazy. And I actually did three of them because the other thing I wanted to see is some of that information. And this is again, just the nature of me. That information was a person using a dual paddle mixer, the handheld cola mix dual paddle mixer. So I'm like, okay, I mixed up one with my cola mix single paddle X06. Okay. That's when I was wrestling the gorilla, you know? And I'm like, I don't know who's, it, it reminded me of that story I, I told long ago when I don't even think he's in it anymore. A guy named Mike Cook. Remember Mike mm -hmm. Cook? Tommy um, Cook's brother. Yeah. When Tommy's brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and now Tegan's brother, I'm guessing Tegan's uh, brother is still around, but he had talked me into using the H paddle. Remember that H paddle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it's used a lot for mortars and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. I remember calling him, cursing him out man, because it, you know, beat, uh, came out the bucket. I had a big divot in my shin. <laughs> I mean, that thing was catastrophic, <clears throat> but that's what it reminded me of when I was trying to get. So then I'm like, okay, I get it. Still did the spread test, still mix them up. Clear, clear differences in, in let's say mixability and clear differences in the amount of spread. And it was totally obvious. Then I pulled out the, I think it's called the XO 55, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dual paddle one. And I don't use it a whole lot. So I think my one paddle is still red and green. I don't know if you red can and buy them that way anymore. Blue or green? It's kind of a teal color. Anyways, or maybe it is blue. Yeah, tealish yeah. color. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm like, oh, that, that must be it. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that's it. Oh, heck no, man. <laughs> uh, it, it still, it was like it was like wrestling a gorilla. It was crazy. So... And then a couple other things that were obvious to me that may not. Now, again, this is with Maker Mix because I'm not using the polymers and stuff. But I would still say that mixed prop, let's say John Schuler proper procedure. The other thing is it was fairly dramatic besides the much better flow was there was a definite difference in time mixing. That was pretty obvious too. It took, took much longer to mix the other way and obvious it had to burp a lot more, meaning I, I, I clearly had whipped a lot more air into the mix, just simply trying to, let's say, wrestle the hand mixer and keep it at full speed 
you know what I mean, to really get the materials integrated versus the one that, yeah, not so much. You know, I might have the trigger at half speed, you know, maybe pulled the trigger full here or there. But um, it was very dramatically different. And the same thing when I used the dual paddle. The tool paddle, I could see, you know, definitely pumped it up a little bit more from a volume point of view, which then I had to set it aside. But like I said, I think a lot of it was, uh, you know, I think of it like, egg, you know, beating egg whites. You know, if it took me longer, higher speeds, et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, I'm just pumping more of what I don't want in there. And that's air. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I guess that's my long way of saying, once again, I, I think everybody should do that. You know, run run your procedures side by side. Uh, be realistic about the chemistries of the materials that you're using. And and then, you know, I guess take anybody's information with a with a significant grain of salt, no matter what, you know, heading they put over themselves. Yeah. They actually put this on... Martin's page the other day, you know, we, we live in the, in the internet age and people can literally identify themselves however they want to. And yeah. I think that's great. A giraffe, a Furby, a concrete professional. Yeah. Concrete. Like what, what's your pronouns, exactly. John? What's your pronouns? And that's okay. Are your pronouns concrete <laughs> professional? <laughs> so, um, John, just, yes. this is a Chappelle, uh, thing he talks about, but I, I feel very similar on this is people can be whatever they want to be. You can be whatever sure. makes you happy. Absolutely. Be a butterfly, Mr. Butterfly. I don't care. You do what you want to do. As long as it doesn't affect me, I don't care. You do what you want to do. But at what point do I have to be complicit in your charade? That's, yeah. that's the punchline in, in the bit that he does, but it's very true. So people can present themselves. I've been a concrete professional for 20 years. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You've been sitting in a little shop, writing papers about things you don't know about, casting little squares. You haven't done anything. You don't have any clients. You don't have any real world projects. So you can label yourself whatever you're going to label yourself, but we don't have to be complicit in that charade. You've talked about this, but I want to tie this to something that I think is important to hit really quick. And that is, and this has come to light because the people that are calling you, they're using maker mix and they're saying, I, I'm not getting that flow that right. they're seeing in videos that I post, that Martin post. And then when you, you know, you're like, what's your TVP? What's your water? Yeah, that sounds good. That's all. Yeah, all that sounds fine. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing? And they tell you how they're loading. And you're like, no, 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 no. Where'd you hear that? And it turns out two different material supplier vendors, one's a, a quote unquote trainer, has been disseminating this information. And this is what we talk about. Experience matters. <clears throat> the companies that are disseminating this information on YouTube, in classes, whatever, is completely wrong, but they don't know that it's wrong because they don't do it. And yeah. that alone is enough to completely wreck people's success. Something as simple as how you load your concrete, what your order of operations are for loading is critical. But the people that don't know, don't know. And they don't know that it's critical. And so I guess my point is, these companies have been putting out this information because they don't know what they don't know. They don't have any experience. Mark my words, John, and we've seen this happen before numerous times now. Mark <laughs> my words. It won't be <laughs> but a week or two before they're going to be saying exactly what we're saying now. Hey, guys, the correct way to do this is this. Because you heard it from us. You we've heard it on our podcast. the whole time. <laughs> we this just we discovered recommend. America. Yeah. You know, they, they just. Well, <laughs> well, but John, my point is, yeah. anybody listening to this, please. Let that be the confirmation you need to understand that the people you've been getting your information from do not know what they're talking about. If they change their tune two weeks later after we come out with a podcast talking about something, that should be your confirmation that these are not the people you should be listening to. If they change what they're recommending based on what we say, they're listening to us. Because we know what we're talking about. So anyways, my, I, I just, I hope. I know we got on that and I didn't want to get too off track. Cause then I love we could go back track. to the whole 2% I love fiber load thing, which is That's what I'm again, saying. hilarious. Anybody out there listening, <clears throat> if you're aware of any of this stuff, which you probably aren't, and I hope you're not because it's stupid. But if, <laughs> if, if you're aware of any of this, let that be the confirmation you need that there's people out there that are complete idiots, complete right. idiots, complete dummies. And uh, you're wasting your time. Well, but to, to summon the how to. So 
we didn't get too far down to the rabbit hole of this. I thing. love the rabbit so, hole, John. Right, the rabbit hole. is So anybody listening, what I would encourage you to is mix your materials both ways. And if you happen to be one of those people's using a pre-blended mix, whatever that pre-blended mix might be, then I still encourage you to take your plasticizer, liquid or powder, and in some way get it dispersed into your liquids first and then take that pre-blended material and then add the material in lifts. So that's in a pre-blended situation. And whether we're talking a bucket, um, the only one that makes that more difficult is the vertical shaft mixer or the pan mixer. But even under that, you know, put the least of material in first than just all liquid, just because you don't want the liquid, you know, leaking out leaking the bottom of the chute. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. But anything else, your barrel mixer, your bucket, your muck bucket, whatever the case may be, you know, that's definitely the, the best way to do it. If you're using add mixtures, now, again, let's say regardless of your admixture, if you're using a mad mixture that happens to have, Dude. again, powdered plastic in it. John. Go ahead. You just came up with a phenomenal name and you don't even know you did it. <laughs> what? You're like the Don King of concrete. You're always just speaking your own language over there. Totally unaware. Yeah. And I love you for it. You just said <laughs> if you're mixing your mad mixture. Yeah. I love that name. We should come up with a product called Mad Mixture. There you go. Mad, mad mix. mixture, like Mad Max, Mad <laughs> Mad <go>. Mix. <laughs> so, what I say, the the same philosophy applies even if you're using admixtures, and that is if you can if you can disperse your plasticizer to the best of its ability first. That's number one, and then number two, that really wants to get around the cement particles as much as possible, not last but as much as possible to begin with. So in that case, the least amount of sand to begin with. And then of all things, if you happen to be using an admixture like Radmix, well, that could actually be added at the same time as your cement because you don't have some of the, let's say, hindering products in there, such as um, powdered pozzolans and so forth, or excuse me, powder uh, polymers and stuff like that. If you're using a liquid polymer, this is a different conversation. But um, if you're using one with a powder polymer, th that should not go in prior to your cement particles. That would definitely come in afterwards and then and then finish your last lifts with your sand. I mean, th that – now, again, here's what I'm going to say. I'm not saying John Schuler's telling everybody wrong. What I would say is this, as I just did myself, go to your shop and run your own fundamentals, okay? Mix up whatever you're using side by side, okay? And then you make the determining factor. Because I guess I actually posted this on um, Martin's page. If the end result that you get using whichever procedure is what you're looking for, then myself or anybody else can't tell you that your loading procedure was wrong. Uh, like I, I recently saw a sink that was cast this way. And let's say for me personally, the end result of that reveal sink pulled out of the mold is just not something that I would be confident or comfortable standing behind or sending out or giving to a client or whatever. Um, and to answer, so the people are like, what's he talking about? Well, it had a lot of air in it. I mean, jokingly, I actually made the, to me, I thought it was funny that it was, there was more air holes in that than in my breathable underwear. So, and I was just making <laughs> And your it, underwear and store off is breathable. It's just developed holes over the years, right? <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> there seems to be one major breather hole. Uh, but <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> Oddly stained. Oh, but, God. Uh, <laughs> Always keeping it classy on the concrete podcast. <laughs> right. But, um, and again, and, and if that's what somebody's looking for, that's okay. Then you know how to do it and, and follow those procedures and stand behind them and champion them. And, and, and that's all right. Yeah. And if that's not, then, you know, there's a few things that I would say to avoid. Like I would avoid again, using powder polymers. I was literally talking polymers. to somebody recently. Yeah. Who wants to do floor tile happens to be using a product. And again, with a polymer and they're having a lot of curling issues. And so she's like, yeah, you know, maybe I need to submerge them and, you know, um, 
cure them in water. And I'm like, eh, you know, maybe you just need to get away from the polymer. Uh, but anyway, that's a whole different conversation. So if you happen to be doing that kind of thing, you know, run them side by side and then make your decisions, you know, and make your products stand behind what you want to do. To me, that's the easiest thing to do. And legitimately, that's what I did. John Schuler took a moment, went to his shop, mixed them up various ways, because who knows, man, you know, maybe somebody did show me something different. Okay. And then you realize like, yeah, no, I remember what that was. That's horrible. And you just don't do it again. I saw the sink you're talking about. Several people texted it to me with uh, the laugh and emoji tied to it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just chock full of error. And yeah. this is, we've talked about this, but the, this is the unfortunate aspect of greed and people selling products they're taking technology that is 20, 30 years old, actually older than that because it goes back to the 70s, so 50 years old, 50-year-old technology and trying to package it as new, innovative, comparable to, to you know, the products that we've developed. And uh, look at the photos, decide for yourself if that's a product you think you want to use. And again, like you said, if you want to use it, great. If that's, if that's right. what you like, then by well, all means, you should again, use that, that product. That's why I just say, at the end of the day, that's what it really boils down to. That's when the rubber hits the road. And, um, and then anybody can call them whatever they want, you know, high performance concrete, craft concrete. I mean, whatever. Oh, that's all semantics or what I call noise. At the end of the day, if, if that's what the end result that someone's looking to attain, <clears throat> then I think that's great. Yeah. And that's what, you know, and that's what that information's for. And that's what those products are for. And that's awesome. You know, but on the flip side, if that's not what you're looking to attain, then, you know, I mean, just as important, then there's other ways you probably want to go about this and other products to follow. And then ultimately, maybe you're in a shop or a small environment where you have both. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, hey, this is where I want to make this uh, because I have this kind of style or look or whatever. And and I want to keep these other products on hand to, to achieve these end goals. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Hey, before I forget, because I just got a text from Joe Bates confirming some dates. We are on now, because I got a confirmation from him, on to do a Hero's Quest May 1st through the 3rd at Joe Shop in Napa, California. But cool. this is going to be a... Breaking news, breaking news. Dude, this actually is breaking news because I got this text just a few minutes ago while you were talking. Um, this is going to be a new Heroes Quest. So the previous Hero... We've done two Heroes Quests and that, those have been doing large upright cast post-tension, okay? Mm -hmm. So we've done two of those and, and Ramcrete. This Heroes Quest is going to be advanced mold making and Ramcrete. So this is going to be rubber mold making, making molds with epoxy and Ramcrete. And we might have a special guest instructor. I haven't announced it yet, but I reached out to him and he's on. So we just got to work out the details, but a special guest instructor on the advanced mold making as well. And materials, right? I think we're going to try to get Polytech. Yeah. And, and rubber as well. So, yeah. So anyways, it's going to be a fun class. It's going to be a new hero's quest. If you've been to the previous ones that we've had. This one's going to be new information. It's going to be great. So we're going to get that loaded on the website here in the next, I would say within the next week on concretedesignschool.com, but save the date, May 1st through 3rd, Napa, California, Joe Bates shop. It's going to be a hero's quest. So there's that. So anyways, before I forget. Ooh, but except you didn't do the breaking news. Isn't there always <laughs> like a... Yeah, alert or something like that. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, it was the like that was the breaking news. Now it's uh, just in. You know, it's always like Fox News or CNN or whatever it is. But it's like a. Anyways, I, go, I can man. find that sound effect and throw it in there. Yeah, throw it in there. So the other thing, John, that if we're talking about like things have been going on in the last week. So there was, there was a question on one of the forums about a guy that had a sealer failure. And, uh, well, he had, he had an issue. He had, like, map cracking, crazing in the sealer. And um, 
there was all these responses. Oh, it was your concrete. Oh, it was the way you cured it. Maybe it was the sands. Maybe, but nobody, nobody would say maybe it's the sealer, right? Maybe it's the sealer. And he used a topical sealer. And, um, anyways, so why I agree this person made multiple mistakes in the casting process, casting too cold, not getting things up to temperature, um, all that kind of fun stuff. The, the end of the day, whatever those failures were that maybe even led to the sealer failure at this point, the sealer has failed. It's cracked right. open. Water's gotten underneath. Yeah, it's, it's turning white. Issues. Yeah. yeah. And so whatever caused the sealer to fail, we don't have a time machine, you know, 1.21 gigawatts. I don't got it. You don't got it. So you're going to have to deal with the reality of today, not yesterday. And reality today yeah, is the, f- yeah. the sealer has failed. So how do you fix the sealer? And if nobody will acknowledge that the sealer has failed, regardless of what caused the sealer to fail, then you're not going to have a result. Because it's a trigger word. It, well, trigger it, word. it is. It is. But <laughs> unless you acknowledge it, you're not going to resolve it. And I think that was that's true. My point with this with this discussion was like, or maybe it's this. Like, I know nobody wants, everybody's dancing around it, trying to come up with all the other reasons, but maybe this is what is going on here. Yeah. But what I found interesting, John, with that whole thread was the manufacturer of that sealer never once offered any advice, input, guidance. Here's no. how to address it. Nothing, but they would acknowledge comments or liking comments. So, you know, they saw the post, but they right. never chimed in and for me no, they that's, were clearly engaged with the post yeah just not um, not, uh, not once yeah i mean that's just i don't know that's weird to me now don't get me wrong uh, I, I even wrote this i think in all fairness maybe they you know reached out outside an open forum you know to to give some guidance so i mean that's my let's say worst case scenario that's that's my hope but the downside of that is on an open forum situation like that, that was a perfect opportunity. In fact, if I, I could be exaggerating, but I think there was at least six or eight people that just said following, following, following. Like They were hoping for some helpful advice um, because of potentially some similar situations that they're dealing with. And there's nothing wrong with that, at least not from my point of view. You know, I mean – He's not, I mean, this person wasn't going to go in and just replace the countertops because, you know, this happened. He just was asking for some help to, to repair. And there was, there was, you know, some material providers that were trying to be very helpful, but the weird thing, or maybe the telling thing is that the actual people who represent those products weren't helping at all. And I, you know, maybe they have no intention of helping. I don't know. Or maybe they just, quite frankly, don't know. That's possible. Well, that's too. the problem when, when you repackage a product. When you're not the actual chemist manufacturer of a product. When you repackage a product, there's probably a lot you don't know about that product. There's probably a lot that you don't know about it. <clears throat> you know, it was uh, it was something that uh, wasn't that long ago. We were hung out to dry because, you know, we talk about how in the raw materials industry. Materials come online and offline constantly. It's just the nature of raw <laughs> materials. You know, yeah. it's it's one of these things that it just it's, happens. Well, it's out of your yeah. control. It's out of your control yeah. as a materials as it's a like true a dance, man. as a yeah. true manufacturer of materials. When you're dealing with raw material providers, it's a constant thing, and it has been since the beginning of time. Hey, mm-hmm. we're not mining that product right now. Okay, great. Right. And you have to find a replacement. Hey, that's that's. We're currently out of production. You know, it's not going to come online for another six weeks. Okay, great. It's just the nature of it. But we got hung out to dry, you know, because we we uh, we talked about that. Or like I said before, in a previous or you know EPA standards or yeah, some, you know things, some updates things come get and, you know pulled so off the market. These are not even available. Yeah, these anymore. raw materials and yeah, I mean these are the things that just happen. But yeah. John, me, <laughs> me and you, we were crucified. Ah! We, you know, this is what we heard like other materials companies saying, or well, I say materials companies, other retailers of pre, re, repackaged products. We will never change our materials, right? Yeah. It was just like a week ago, somebody sent me a screenshot of some of these people that had said that, hey guys, we uh, we change our materials and this is a really common thing in the chemistry world, you know. Yeah. Oh man, I love when people eat crow. I love it. I well, love it. Or they don't. I mean, you know, I don't know. Because 
again, I'm going to say it's it's all possible coincidentally that because and I do think I believe things go in cycles and and why it happens I don't know. So it seems like at the moment I've been reading a lot of posts with people having let's say difficulties or or whatever challenges whatever we want a nice way of putting it with some certain products. And, um, one of them coincidentally has changed their name recently. And when, and when they got called on it by somebody, it was like, Oh, no, no, no. I mean, we only changed it because, you know, we like the word pro. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so again, maybe, you know, maybe the challenges happening around it are completely coincidental. That's okay. Um, to be honest with you, just because we're having this conversation openly now between me and you, uh, I, I kind of shy away from that. As nice as that sounds to say it's coincidental, yeah. because to me, it's a little telling that on an open forum, they would uh, those same individuals would shy themselves so far away from from just helping someone who wasn't bashing. I mean, yeah. the whole po- I didn't read one bashing post anywhere, just people asking, you know, essentially for advice. Yep. Which, um, and you know, kudos to Tom Fisher for jumping in. He, he gave some, like, you know, you may have sanded it down and yada, yada, yada. Um, but yes, I do love those posts and love, I'm saying sarcastically, the people who, you know, like Gandalf with his, you know, plunging his staff. Thou shall not pass. And that's, that's what they were doing. They shall not blame it on the sealer. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> Uh, Enough of that, John Schuler. It's <laughs> Come time. on, it's funny. Ah, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. Uh, we're being we're being petty betties now. We need to. I know. Sometimes you have to, man. Come on. It's just sometimes it's it just needs to be said. You know, sometimes things just need to be said out loud. And so there, we said it. Done. Done. Water under the bridge. Um, it's, hey, it's still funny though. It's oh, I do find it funny. I do find it funny myself. And I think everybody else does too. Yeah. We have the Fundamentals Workshop coming up in, what was today? Today is uh, February 1st, so the 10th, so nine days. That's coming up, coming up pretty quick. So if you are unaware, we have a one and a half day class, the Concrete Design School Fundamentals Workshop, and that is the first step in your concrete journey. If you are new to concrete and you want to learn the right way to get started in this industry and the right way to do things and not waste a lot of money and time making an ultimate mistake in training and learning things the wrong way from people that don't do it, uh, you might want to take a look at this workshop, ConcreteDesignSchool.com, the 1.5 day fundamentals workshop. Low cost class, low low time investment. We're doing it on a weekend, and uh, yeah. in and out. So, hopefully, you can make it. What else, John? Well, just the breaking news. I guess now we got to, like, like I was talking to Joe this morning. He's like, he's like, yeah, if we go it out far enough, we'll just procrastinate. But if we do it too soon, <laughs> we're gonna like be spinning our wheels. So. Um, the, uh, hero's quest, man. Yeah. I love the hero's quest. Me yeah. too. May, May 1st through the 3rd. And did you, do you want to say who the guest might be? Who's uh, the guest? yeah, go ahead. You want to say it? I don't know. Who is it? Oh, you don't know? I copied you on a text, John. Do you not look at your text? Really? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, queen. I, yeah. You know, give me a minute. Let me turn my phone back on. <laughs> yeah, get your reading glasses. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. No. So who is it? Uh, Sean Albright. Sean. Oh, right on. Yeah, Sean Albright. So Sean is a master of making molds. He's extremely talented and gifted, and he's he's a great uh, instructor, teacher as well. So mm-hmm. um, I reached out to Sean and asked him, and I copied you on the text, but uh, asked him if, if he would be interested, and he said he would, and those dates work. So we might be having Sean Albright join us for this. It would be great if he if he's able to make yeah, it. Yeah, it works out. Yeah. But this class is going to be really focused on mold making and more advanced mold making. I'm actually excited about it because I've seen the molds Joe makes with the epoxy coatings and they look phenomenal. And I wish I could make molds that nice personally. There's so many times that I wish I had the skill set to make molds as nice as Joe's molds. So I'm personally actually excited about seeing some of Joe's tips and tricks that he does and incorporating incorporating those into my workflow as well. And same with Sean. Sean has a lot of great techniques that I'm interested in learning yeah, as well. Absolutely. So, 
So yeah. it's going to be a fun class all the way around. So again, you know, if you've been to a Heroes Quest, we have a lot of repeat attendees. This Heroes Quest is going to be new information. So it's the first time we're going to be doing this curriculum. And uh, so hopefully you can make it. But uh, anything else? Is that it? And we're going to wrap it on that? I think that's it for today, buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to get to sealing. I sanded that slurry this morning, and now I'm going to start sealing. So Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I saw that vanity. Were you going to take some pictures? Because you took a really distant picture, but it looks like a pretty neat three-dimensional cast, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. I mean, it is a tank of a little vanity. That thing, you could literally put it in front of a tank and probably stop a tank. Um, <laughs> it is, it's a chunky little beast, but yeah, it's, um, it's for a client. I've worked with this client now for, dude, I'm going to tell me this little story. Cause I think it's kind of funny. I've worked with this designer now for at least 15 years on a lot of different projects. And I love the designer, phenomenal designer, but you know, there's people that work at the design firm that, um, I don't know if they understand physics the shop drawings, you know, we, we went through 20 or 30 iterations on shop drawings because things kept changing. They would send me the dimensions and then I'd send them shop drawings and say, no, 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 no. We went field measured. We need to adjust this to be this dimension and then this dimension. And no, no, we, you know, we, actually we want to adjust it this. Oh, we want to move the seam line six inches this way. And I just kept redrawing, 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 which that's a whole other lesson is you should yeah. charge your time, which I did not do in this client. Um, charge your time for shop drawings because you can eat up. I probably ate up 50, 60 hours on shop drawings on this project. But anyways, we finally get to the end of the shop drawing. Everybody signs off. You know, the contractor approves, the designer approves, the client approves, everybody approves. Great. So I build everything. And I, I build the crates. And I have a video, if anybody's interested in seeing my crating process, it's on um, KodiakPro.com under paid tutorials. There's a tutorial on how to build crates. But I have a I have a video and I go through my process, but I build my crates to fit the piece exactly. Like the crate is built to the piece. I don't just build an arbitrary size and then block out the inside for the piece. No, I build the crate to the piece to fit it perfectly. There's zero tolerance. I mean, I build it to like, uh, you know, a 32nd of an inch. So it's super tight. Anyways, so I build the crates. After I build the pieces, I build the crates. The crates are all done. And after I build the crates... The client reaches out to me and says, or not the client, but the uh, the designer, not even the designer, but a person at the design firm, like one of the lower level people, reaches out to me and says, hey, do you need to know the size of the elevator to build the crates? No, I don't need to know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're like, um, but don't you need to build them to fit in the elevator? And I'm like, well, no, I build the crates to fit the pieces. Yeah. So the crates are the crates. The crates are designed for the pieces. So whatever yeah. that is, is what it is. And they're like, yeah, no, I understand. But, um, but we also need to make sure it fits an elevator. I'm like, no, I understand. But what I'm saying is I cannot shrink the crate to fit in the elevator and then somehow get a piece that's six inches longer to fit in that crate, right? So like the crates <laughs> are the crates. And it, this conversation just went around and around and around. And I, I, I told him, I just finally said like, listen, if the crates don't fit in the elevator... You're going to need a crane or a telehandler or some other method to get these up to whatever floor you're going to. But I cannot change the size of the crates. The crates are literally built to fit, fit the pieces that everybody signed off on. So right. that's what I built. And then the crates are built to that. And, uh, and then I, I, I got a call uh, like two days ago. I was at my sh here at my shop working and uh, I picked up and it was, it was the person at the design firm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just really concerned about the size of the crates. I'm like, uh, I was like, okay, what, what's the dimensions of the elevator? And so they tell me and I get a tape measure. Everything's going to be fine, right? Great. Okay, great, great, great. And they're like, can you email us the, the crate size and then the weight of the crates? Just so everybody's on the same page to the builder and everybody involved. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I've already calculated the weight of the crates with the concrete in it. Even though I haven't loaded them yet, I know within probably 15 pounds what they're going to be. And, um, and I've already reached out to a freight broker to get quotes. So I have all the dimensions and weights and everything. So I just cut and paste that into an email and say, here's the, here's the size of the crates and here's the weights. And then I got an email back from the builder, which I haven't responded to yet because I'm not even sure how to respond. Um, I got an email back from the builder of, the, of the pro, this project that says, um, essentially, wow, these weights are, are a big surprise, exclamation point. I thought this was lightweight concrete, which... First of all, nowhere on my website do I say lightweight concrete. Nowhere in my quote do I say lightweight concrete. Nowhere have I ever said lightweight concrete, right? I've never said this term. I've never 
promoted a product of lightweight concrete. I started to write a response that lightweight, like quote unquote, lightweight concrete was an oxymoron. That's what I started my email with. I'm like, I'm just going to push pause on this email right now. But, but again, it's like, what, what are we talking about here? The pieces are done. Everybody signed yeah. off on this. I mean, has this builder, I've never worked with the builder before this builder. Has this builder never installed granite or stone or solid surface? Or I mean, these are all huge pieces. If this was made out of marble or granite, it would be the same weight, if not heavier. So what are we talking about here? You know? Yeah. So that's essentially, I'm going to write back a response that says, um, you know, your um, lack of awareness of my material is not my issue. I've never once marketed my products as lightweight. Everything is as thin as we can make it, usually one inch thick. There are sections that are thicker because of of whatever, because we can't get foam in there because it's too small. But, but, you know, the weight is the weight. Like, what, what do you want me to do? What are we even talking about? Like the weight is the weight. Another thing that I think this this builder is losing sight of is I build my crates out of three quarter inch plywood. Well, a sheet of three quarter inch plywood, seventy five pounds. Some of these crates are three sheets of plywood plus four by fours. So there's yeah. easily 250, 260 pounds just in plywood and and you know wood for the crate. So um so I just don't think I don't know. It just makes me really question the experience of the builder. But they'd have to be experienced to be work this project. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous the scale and level of the project. So I assume they're experienced, but again, it's just no, uh, you never know, man. Uh, well, the yeah. can you can you build the crates to fit the elevator? Mm, no, I can't. You know, it's like well, I, I, I was talking. Actually, you could. <laughs> I was talking. You really to Aiden. could. It's like uh, you just don't put the pieces in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like uh, the cartoons where they'd paint the tunnel on the side of the cliff and then like right. Bugs Bunny would go in it and then, the you know, Coyote tried to do it, but he'd hit the wall. Slams right into it. Yeah. It's not the way it works. I can't just make it smaller and then put yeah. the bigger thing in it. It just doesn't work that way. Dude. So another story. I'm going to sound like a real dick for this, but I'm just going to tell you because I have a hard time with these types of situations. I lost a massive project in Phoenix years ago. Massive project. So this designer that I've done a lot of work with, a landscape designer, landscape architect, had specified me to make these custom benches and wall sections, all precast, for all the bus stops in Phoenix. It was thousands of pieces. It's a project that would take me years and years to do, and I would have retired from this one project, right? Like the amount of money you'd make on a project like that is insane. Those budgets, you know, city of Phoenix budgets, Maricopa County budgets, it's incredible. You do the math. It's, it is truly life-changing money. But unfortunately, I don't do things strictly for money. Like if I did, I'd have gone into being a lawyer or a doctor or some other profession, but that's not what I want to do. So this, this landscape architect specified me. I did the designs. I did drawings. And then the city of Phoenix, the officials, and these are like elected officials, wanted to come down and meet me at the studio and talk about the project with the landscape architect. So they came down to my studio in Tempe, and it was landscape architect, my wife, Erin, and like four or five officials. I was in the back working when they showed up. So Erin, you know, comes back. I don't, I hate these meetings. I, I hate meetings. Like I can't stand meetings. So I don't even want to do the meeting, but Erin's like, you got to do it. You know? So she opens the door like Brandon, they're here. I'm like, ah! so I come up there. I'm like covered in concrete. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. We all sit down. And, uh, so we're, we're having a nice enough conversation. We're talking about design. And one of the things they wanted to work into the design is making the benches, two things, skate proof. And they wanted to reduce the um, likelihood of homeless people sleeping on the benches, right? So they just want to make them uncomfortable enough that people would not want to like set up camp on the bench. And uh, so my solution was to do like this kind of scalloped surface, this top surface where it just curved down and then up and then down and up and then down and up. And that does a lot of things. It, it, tells people this is where to sit. So everybody knows this is a seat, this is a seat, this is a seat. It keeps anybody from skating it without putting those stupid stainless steel fins every three feet, you know? And also it prevents anybody from wanting to sleep on it because it wouldn't be that comfortable to try to sleep on. It'd be like sleeping on a, you know, a wave. So it solves a lot of issues and it did it very organically and it was all part of the design. It was intentional and it just solved all the problems. So anyways, so I'm in this meeting. I've done all the design drawings and this lady, this elected official for the city of Phoenix goes, well, because we're talking about the, the scallop top surface. I'm, I'm explaining to him like how it's just a really good solution that solves all their problems without these extra pieces of hardware and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, she's like, well, 
don't you think it'd actually make it more fun for the skaters? Like it'd be like a roller coaster. We're like, woo, woo, woo. That's what they ended up doing. My head about exploded. Like Aaron looks at me and she's like, like with her eyes saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Like she's, cause she sees it. Like I, I just, I have this gene within me where I cannot tolerate stupid questions like this. Right. And I said, no, 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 no. I was like, there's a thing called physics. This isn't the cartoons. This isn't, you know, if you hit that with a skateboard, you're not going to ride it like a roller coaster. You're going to go woo right off one time and end up over in the dirt. You're not going to ride right. it up and down. It's a thing called physics. And the lady goes, okay, then. Well, I don't have any more questions. Anybody else have any questions? And they're like, nope. She's like, all right, well, we'll let you know. And she gets up and Aaron's like, you blew it. I'm like, I don't care, Aaron. I cannot tolerate these kind of questions and i did blow it we didn't get the project but um yeah dude i just i have a hard time so god bless this uh junior designer at this design firm thinking that i can shrink a crate down magically but put a massive piece in it to get it in an elevator but that's just not the way it works it's just not the way it works so the good thing is it's all been via email so i can i can um delay my response which is good it's good to take some time you know put some time on it. That's what I think I've told you in the past. I mean, especially when something that really hits me hard, I do a 24 hour. Yeah. At least, at least. Yeah. Just take a breather. Don't jump in right back at it because you know, maybe you read it wrong or meaning like whatever emotional state you're in at the moment. And so you just like, just take, dude, you need to walk from this one for a minute. Well, <laughs> I got know? that email yesterday from the builder, like the weight's a surprise, right? Yeah. And, uh, I started literally my first line was lightweight concrete's oxymoron. And then I just deleted that, closed my computer and I went home and yeah, he sent me another email this morning, another, but I'm like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm not, I, I do not, I'm not obligated to respond to this immediately and I'm not going to respond. I'm going to give it some time. I'm going to come up with a level headed response and, uh, and let that be that. But anyways, on that note, John. All right, buddy. All right. Well, until next week. Yeah. Hope the rest of your day goes well. No, it's going to go great. I can feel it. <laughs> All right, Seriously, buddy. it's going to be great. It's going to be a good day. I love. I actually love ceiling. I like the process. So I'm going to put my headphones in. I'm listening. Oh, I agree. I, I, I got to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. Dude, I'm, I I'm listening to an audiobook. Uh, it's called One Second After. It's about uh, apocalyptic post end of the world type thing. You know, light You're entertainment. Kind of on that stuff right now, aren't light you? and fun, light and fun, dude. I'm I'm way down that rabbit hole right now, bro. Yeah. I'm way down there. I'm not even tell you how far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> 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 I'm like wearing like a tinfoil hat right now, <laughs> peeking out my my windows. But um, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if something comes to fruition, I'll tell I'll tell the podcast what I'm working on. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've gone down the rabbit hole for sure. So, but uh, one second after, and the one I just listened to was called Going Home, which is a good one. I like that one, but that was like a 19 hour novel. But yeah. So anyways, just, you know, some light, fun entertainment while you're ceiling. So, <laughs> Dude, I'm having trouble. Light, fun, end of the world kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I think the guy's getting ready to kill his dogs because he ran out of dog food. Like that's, that's where I'm currently at in the story. And I'm like, dude, don't kill the dogs. Sound, you got, yeah, that does sound like, you got two yeah, golden retrievers and his daughter has diabetes and she's like 12 years old and they don't have uh, any they don't have any uh insulin like bro this is getting dark pretty quick but you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways buddy. all right all right until next week talk to you later bye <laughs>